Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Joey Taylor, and I'm the producer of the Common Good Podcast. For this week's episode, we'll hear the abundant community conversation between Casper Turkayo and Peter Block. Every couple of months, the Common Good Collective helps to produce these interactive conversations on Zoom, and they always contain poetry, small groups, and exploration of a particular theme with a community practitioner. In this abundant community conversation, Casper and Peter speak about crossroads, possibilities, ritual, and gifts. But before we hear from Casper and Peter, we'd like to share the opening poem by your normal host, the amazing Rabbi Miriam Turlenchamp. However, I do feel very blessed to be able to share one of my own pieces with you all. Um, It's something that I wrote after a conversation I had with Peter. It was about 10 years ago. And um, I remember the moment perfectly because I was sitting at this table in my office and the roof had come in right above my office and was flooding. And um, the congregation was really struggling. And I felt like, I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I just started. So it felt like, how could I give up when I just began this work? And Peter was with me and he said this one line, which is the first line of this poem. It has stayed with me for 10 years and it's continued to buoy me. So I wanted to share it with all of you. It's called, Tell God. The moment we say, I can't handle this anymore. God says, I know you can't, let's talk tomorrow. The moment we acknowledge what we cannot do, we open the door a little wider, giving ourselves a bit more strength than we thought we had. God has a hand in the work that we do. And just maybe, in the way we cast aside our grudges, in the way we comfort another, in the way we stand in the middle of difficult stories and are willing to listen and face the pain, we teach God a little something too. We can never know in a moment of pain what fortune may arise. We can never know in a given moment that feels fortunate at first may in the end turn out to be otherwise. Each day belongs to itself. Every story we tell about ourselves, about one another, has an ending. With endings come possibility of new stories and new strength. Tell God what it is that you can't handle, what burns inside you, what peace you seek, and thereby open a door to what you can handle, what thrives within you, and what new story may emerge. Now, as the conversation begins, Troy Bronsink introduces Casper Turkile. Not only the original host of the podcast, Troy is also the founder and director at The Hive, a Cincinnati-based conscious community offering awakening experiences and fueling collective change in the world. Here's Troy. I think uh, Casper holds a container in a unique way. And at a time when The Hive was about a year old, we had gone to an event he and others kind of convened for about 100 of us that were in spiritual entrepreneurship. And in that moment, there was a time, just the way, Casper, you led with Susan and Angie, inviting Jen and her strong leadership she brought in. It was a time where racial dissent was arising between the folks in the group and the power of holding a container that allowed for that dissent. And I'll never forget an evening when someone spoke up about that dissent. We use the language a lot of times at the common good about moving at the speed of trust. Well, everything slowed down because the trust wasn't there yet. 
And in the slowing down, there was a sitting and waiting and different people from their wisdom traditions and their life experience started calling us to that kind of waiting and spoken word arose and music arose and the room of a hundred of us began to sway and the bottom dropped out and people talked about justice that they'd seen and justice they were waiting for and healing they experienced. And you saw community come out of space rather than it being poured into or commodified or anything like that. I've seen Casper do that a number of times and felt that even in one-on-one conversations. And I'm just really delighted we're holding space today for that to be in conversation with Peter, who has taught me a lot in that way as well. Thank you, Casper, for being a part of this day. Thank you so much, Troy. And hello, everyone. I, I feel so humbled. Uh, I know each of you could probably say much more than I can in, in this hour on what we're going to talk about. So I'm grateful to be with you. Troy very generously just gave a little hint into my area of work, which is really what are the ways in which we'll find new containers of commitment and courage? What are the new ways in which people are invited into relationship with one another? And I'm invested in that question because I sit very much at that edge of one of those people who are kind of spiritual, but not religious, or at least religious, but not in the way (laughs) that you would expect sometimes, um, as is uh, evidenced by reading Harry Potter as a sacred text. So I'm thrilled to be with you, Peter. It's such an honor to be in conversation with you. So thank you for this invitation. Uh, Thank you, Troy. Uh, Thank you, Miriam. Thank you, Casper. This is it's a treat. So we're going to kind of become the conversations that we're talking about. This world of broadcasting, it's easy to talk about something and not experience it. And so every time we come together, we say, well, if our way of being together isn't an example of the larger sacred world we want to inhabit, then we're just talking. In your book, it's written so beautifully and so fluid. It's so poetic. And I think helping us discover that many more things we're doing is sacred and we call it that. And we're kind of reclaiming the sacred away from the professionals. Our time together really is for us to be together. There's certain kinds of being together, there's certain kinds of language acts, there's certain kinds of questions that take us quickly into something sacred. They take us quickly into confronting our own freedom. They take us quickly into being accountable for the world instead of complaining about it. You know, the world, every time I pick up a paper, tells me I'm divided and inside a part of me says, no, I'm not divided. We're not divided, you and I. And so we thought we'd try out a couple of these conversations. One is is the world of possibility, which is what you embody. And one of those questions that gets to the point is, is a question of crossroads. And I, I love the question because it means that I always have a choice. Usually when the world comes to you and wants to change, they say, well, I don't have any choice of the matter. I worked with organizations for years and they always, they're always waiting for the transformation of top management. Anything that's waiting for someone else's transformation leaves me in a choiceless moment. And so the question is, what's the crossroads you're at at this stage of your life? Always positions me as an agent in the matter. That's what's totally sacred. We thought we'd start by asking you that question. And uh, whatever you prepared, you're welcome to abandon it. But so what's the crossroads you're at at this stage of your life, Casper? Oh, it's, it's such a, a, a provocative question. I, I'm English originally, if, if you hadn't heard in my accent. And I'm back in England uh, for about a month, spending some time with my parents I realized that I've reached that point in my life where it is unescapable how much like my parents I am becoming. And I feel like the crossroads is to what extent do I want to embrace that? And I am very lucky that my mother was someone and still is someone who modeled everything that is good about me. 
the little village that I grew up in, where it was a rather unusual village where, you know, you would see people walking their goats or carrying little um, lanterns and, and singing down the streets on, on Michaelmas Eve. But my mother created an arts festival and a bike safety campaign and was a, a traffic lady to help people cross the road. As I grew up, my ambition was so big. I always wanted to make big changes and big impact. And I, I kind of looked down on these small things that my mother did. So when I went to the UN, you know, as a young climate activist, she said, oh, I'll come with you and I'll, I'll bake cakes for everyone. And I was like, mom, that's so stupid. And now, of course, I get to an age where I'm like, oh my God, my mom was so smart. She was doing things at a scale in which she was really changing, not just the, the, the practical things uh, around her, but the relationships with people that new things became possible. And so I feel like the crossroads that I'm at in my life are figuring out at, at what stage or at what, what scale and mm -hmm. work at a level that maybe isn't as shiny, but is actually much more profoundly impactful. And what does that look like? And who do I do that with? So a confrontation, which is a, a, a joyful one, honestly. You're kind of a victim of your own success because, you know, when you're young, can I, can I? Now the answer is yes, you can pretty much do what you want. And if you're not depressed at the prospect of that, you're just not paying attention. The world always wants larger scale and, and the feminine source of power says, no, the scale is what you can walk to, what you can touch. And there's real power in that. For you to choose your mother's path would be to say no to many, half the opportunities coming your way, like this one. Beautiful way to frame it. How about you, Peter? You know, I'm at the other end. My future is behind me. Any anxiety I have about my future has pretty much disappeared. And my crossroads is, do I have a right to do just what I want? Because I've always been had this building. I've always been a dreamer. People called me an idealist and always thank them. I used to defend myself, but then at a certain point, I said, thank you. I am idealistic. I am impractical. God gave me that gift. And so for me, can I say no enough? I know there's something left to give at my age, but do I have the courage to offer it in a way that I imagine it? For both of us, you know, it's wonderful to hear. You had an amazing mother. It's a real challenge because you're not her, you know. I always felt the real adulthood begins at the moment. You say to your parents, I'm not the son you had in mind. Oh, they had to deal with that a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> Peter, let, let, let me ask you one more question. I was at another Zoom event at the retirement of two dear professors yesterday, and I suddenly felt this weight of inheritance of, as they said goodbye to their professional life, realizing that the very gifts that I loved about them were now mine to carry at, with so many others and to pass on. And I, I want to ask you, you know, at this point in life, as, as you've shared so much about your work and your learning and all the beautiful people that you know, how, how does it feel to be passing things on knowing that you won't necessarily see where they continue, of course, as we all will? I have mixed feelings, mixed thoughts about it. One is, I think for people at any age, if you say it's up to you now, it's a cop out. When am I done? You know, now maybe I'm not answering the phone as often, but to say I'm not answering the phone, I don't get that. So I don't want to put the bur any burden on you. I've got a lot of work to do. I've probably got three hours to live. I'm going to make those useful three hours. I asked somebody who's a diet wizard. I said, well, if I got my diet right with an hour to live, what would you suggest? He would say, eat right for that hour. I would take the burden off of you. You're not the next generation. We're in this together, damn it. At this point in the Abundant Community Conversation, Peter sets up the breakout rooms by describing the possibility conversation. As you listen to Peter, consider his crossroads question, think about his instructions, and notice what comes up for you. 
The question is, what's the crossroad you're at at this stage of your life? It's a beautiful question. It's a possibility question. And it means that I'm not here to solve a problem. I'm meant to live it, live into an alternative future. That's what I'm here for. Answer that. If you're not at a crossroads at this stage of your life, thank God for this too shall pass. And the other side is when you're with other people, don't be helpful. All help, all advice is just a form of colonialism that says, well, I know you don't. Let me help you out. And we do that in a thousand ways. So when you're with somebody, just say, why does it matter to you? What's at stake? There's a longing in us and what's sacred about what Casper offers uh, from the gym to the dinner table is that our capacity to see each other for who we are is what's sacred. Before we return to the conversation, this may be a good time to press pause, take a breath, and spend a little time with the crossroads question. Now, as we return, the conversation shifts to the topic of ritual. Peter, ritual, community. Exactly. How did this come to matter so much to you, Casper? This framing of the moment. I mentioned my mom for a reason, because I ended up in divinity school as a gay atheist, which was surprising to me and everyone else. And I realized that so much of what I had grown up with was ritual, but no one had called it that. The weekly Wednesday dinners and the hot cross buns at Easter and the midsummer night's dream readings around the campfire in the summer, that all of these were traditions that didn't just make the world more beautiful, that they were formative, that they held values, that they communicated a vision of how we could be together without necessarily spelling that out. And once that clicked in my mind, I just saw ritual all around me. One of the things that I'm so passionate about is to try and take ritual from, from this category of complicated, maybe even exoticized, something that's for other people or for professional people and to help us see, you know, the way you put your moisturizer on in the morning. If you bring a little intention to it, as I do, and I, I, I put moisturizer on my forehead and on my nose and on my cheeks, and I say, today will be a day of joy and suffering, just like any other. And at the end of the day, I look back and I say, yep, that was the joy. And yep, that was the suffering. And on a day recently, I was like, I only felt joy. And as I got into bed, I stubbed my toe. And I was like, ah, there is the suffering. So it's these little rituals of our everyday that for me give life rhythm and structure and meaning. And I think in a dominant culture where, you know, everything is aimed at consumption and all the things we know, it's a really powerful interruption in which a different vision of life becomes possible. So I'm team ritual all the way. (laughs) It's also value in the vernacular. In 1892, Queen Isabella decided there should be a mother tongue for Spain. And that was just an early example of commodifying what used to be unique and vernacular and local. And you're you're calling back. We don't need professionals. We don't need to outsource the source of our joy or our meaning. That's what I. That's what's so political about you. You're saying that, and you pick it. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs to know about it. And you don't have to look at a book that's been rewritten five times over 300 years. And even God, I think, must say, "What have I done?" And I think you're reclaiming all that the church and faith represents. And when you say you're spiritual, for me, I've never lost faith. If you ask me in what, I'll change my mind every 10 minutes, but there's something out there worth caring about. 
Well, th that's what strikes me so much. You know, when Troy introduced me, he, he mentioned this paper called How We Gather. That's really how this professional work started for me, where, where we went out looking into the world of people who were not engaged with religious institutions, but who were building communities of powerful commitment in all sorts of different ways, you know, from fitness gyms to co-working spaces and maker spaces, even in the workplace, which brings up all sorts of ethical questions that we can put to one side for a moment. This sense that there is maybe a, a disruption in the distribution of religious life, but there is an endurance in the longings that we have as human beings to be with one another, to orient ourselves to something bigger, to become the kind of person we want to be in the world. And I, I'm really excited about the new ways in which people are figuring out how to do that. It's tough if you're figuring out how to do something for the first time and you don't have health insurance provided by the denomination or you don't have a, a financial model that makes sense just quite yet. It, it's, it's not easy. But I really have faith in that human longing. That's, that's the bit that I've just seen over and over again. I once had a friend who said we're wounded at the moment of birth. It just resonated. So what we thought was our personal means we're human. And what you're doing is affirming our humanity. It doesn't have to be handed to us or taught to us. I do think what has meaning for us does grow out of our woundedness. And that's why there's no joy without suffering. And, you know, being a Jew, people always said, people, don't you experience joy? And I always said, give me a break. You know, leave, leave me alone, damn it. But the thought, <laughs> the thought has occurred to me. <laughs> I remember, Peter, when we were preparing for this conversation, one of, the, one of the ideas we talked about briefly was how to put these rituals into practice. And one of the things that I, I'm really all about this year especially with the COVID experience uh, still ongoing, was the practice of putting those rituals into a calendar. Because I think we don't, I agree with you, we don't necessarily have to kind of just inherit what we've received, but we do need help. Because I think so much of do-it-yourself spirituality, you end up not doing anything. And so we, we do need some structures that keep us in, in, in relationship and, 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 and in relationship with our practice. And so thinking about the ways in which we might structure rituals for for relationship is something i've been thinking a lot about and how we can Beautiful. um you know what i mean build build like a calendar of community rituals well, I, and i think when you put it on a calendar it makes it concrete when our kids were young we had good friends who kids were young they would come over to our house because we happened to have a porch and we'd have sunday dinner together mm. that way we could be together the kids could be together. it was just logistically simpler yeah well, that was 18 years ago and we've been together every Sunday one way or another since. And what, what does that mean? You know, I had never thought of it, but it wasn't about friendship. It was about ritual. Mm -hmm. Something mm -hmm. in my life marks time, marks meaning. And I think what you're doing is making meaning available to the lay person. That's a big deal. At this point in the conversation, Casper frames the second breakout question. And, and it's really on this theme of, of thinking about how to ritualize the things that, that are meaningful to, to us and our families and to use those as invitations into relationship with our neighbors. How can we create the, the kind of ritual containers in which we can bring people into, into our lives? So here's your question. What do you do that you already love 
that you could build a bridge of relationship with. I just joined the, uh, the local committee of membership in my community garden in Brooklyn. And I was thinking, well, what can we do that brings in the local community? And people love Halloween in our neighborhood. People love to carve pumpkins. Why don't we have an open afternoon and evening on Halloween where people can come carve their pumpkin and, uh, and meet their neighbors? So that, that's one example of, of, you know, just taking something that you already do that you love, maybe with your partner, with your family, that you could invite the neighborhood into. Take a second to consider Casper's question. What do you do that you already love that you can build a bridge of relationship with? And now the Abundant Community Conversation wraps up with the gifts conversation. Most of our colonial world is focused on what's wrong with us and deficiencies, competition. Casper, being with you, the world seems possible just from who you are. What, what has real radical ritual power is finding more ways to talk about what we're good at and what we've given each other. I often think I know after I die, and I've thought this for years, there will be a eulogy and certain people will be forced to forgive me. It's just I'm going to miss it, damn it. We've tried to ritualize in the work we're doing in community building. The expression of gifts and not to describe a person. You don't need a questionnaire. You don't need an Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, or positive psychology to tell you what you're good at. All I need is to ask Casper or the people in my small group one time, even though we've only been together for a minute, an hour, what did I do that meant something to you? Because if I don't ask that question, I'll never know. I can't recall. After this is over, I will think what meant what people did and the people in my small groups meant to me. But there's no structure to give voice to that. And then it's gone. The idea of ending the way to complete every time we're together is to say, here's what you did. It meant something to me. And then when somebody says something nice to you, God forbid, first of all, it's always a surprise. People all say, oh, I'm sure you heard this many times. Technically, I have, but I'm always still surprised that there's anything I'm doing that's a gift to other people. There must be an element of fraud. This is my abundant mindset, right? I mean, we're only interested in things we don't get. Maybe uh, we could do it, and then we invite some other people to do it. And it's so much harder to receive it than to give it. Part of our the ritual we're trying to embed is just say thank you. I like hearing that. And then say, tell me more. <laughs> Well, let me set that up a hundred times. I've never practiced it, but one of these days I'm going to. (laughs) I was going to say, let me appreciate your gifts, Peter. I I was, when I received Joey's email as an invitation to this conversation, I I may have done a small Yelp uh, at at my my computer because to me, you are just such a, a giant in my imagination. And when I think about you know, suggesting that the Halloween pumpkin carving, or I, I, I quote you in something that I'm writing, or I, I want to try something that doesn't make sense to most people. Uh, I feel a great sense of legitimacy because of what you've written and how you've, how you've worked and the incredible people you've brought together and the, the ways in which you've given us. We talk a lot of my work about spiritual confidence, but I think you give me the gift of community confidence. Um, and so I, I want to say thank you for that. I like hearing that. Part of why it's powerful to me what you just said. I never write based on any evidence or any good examples. And so 
I, I'm never confident, but I haven't had the will and the arrogance to go ahead and write it anyway. Because I feel if you see something once, then it's true. It exists in the world. I don't need it. And so you being supported by that means the world to me, Casper. It does. The other gift of you, Casper, is your larger your world becomes. You haven't lost an ounce of your warmth and humanity and foolishness. And uh, I, I love this. I don't see many bones in you that takes yourself too seriously and to be in the spiritual world and still be as lighthearted and foolish and questioning and curious. It's just a beautiful thing to be near. I like hearing that. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Thanks for listening. Be on the lookout for upcoming abundant community conversations and check out the show notes for everyone's bios and information. You can find more information about the Common Good Collective at commongood.cc. This episode has been guest hosted and produced by me, Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.